Good Heavens, a podcast about the universe with Wayne and Dan. Well, hello, Wayne. Welcome back. Hi, Dan. It's good to be back on Good Heavens. Good Heavens. You're back. It's yes. fantastic. This is uh, our fourth episode of this uh, fledgling podcast, and we are here at our friend's house, uh, Lee and Rebecca, and uh, I got a, it's our, uh, we're having a birthday celebration this weekend, right? That's why we're here. We're doing uh, a podcast, having pie, and doing birthday things. Uh, yes, it's uh, uh, close to my birthday. Yes, mine too. So uh, the Valerius has got me a microphone. And so that's what we're using, this wonderful gift in their house. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, the odd couple of the astronomical world, uh, stuff that you probably don't hear a lot about. But we're going to be talking today about Tycho Brahe. Mm-hmm. Right, bra. It looks like I always used to pronounce it Brahe. Yeah, I did too. But it's bra. It's yeah. Danish. Yes, Denmark and uh, Kepler, uh, Johannes Kepler, mm-hmm. who is German. And uh, since it's the coming up on the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and uh, that's coming up in just a few days, we're recording this a couple of days before that. It's good to know that that's these very relevant. Actually. Yeah, yes, these guys were both Lutherans. Weren't they? And living during the time, uh, during the events in the 16th century, and we're living through the the Protestant Reformation political turmoil. Yeah, uh, and the and the Catholic Counter Reformation uh, affected Kepler and his family a lot. Yes, so. and we'll talk about that briefly. But in terms of speaking of Martin Luther and the chronology, well, let's start talking about. Uh, Tycho, because not a whole lot is known about him. Well, there is, and sometimes he's getting he gets a bad rap, but he's quite a colorful cat in terms of mm-hmm. uh, his life. Uh, he was born the same year Martin Luther died. He was born in December of 1546, and Martin Luther died in February of 1546. So um, tell us some interesting tidbits about uh, Tycho, Wayne. Let us know what's, what's curious about this gent. Yeah, so he had a, he was born in a noble family uh, that had royal connections in Denmark, and uh, he was actually born a twin, but his his twin brother died at birth, and uh, it turns out he was raised actually by an uncle and aunt. I heard they kidnapped him, and it was like a. a... It sounds like that, but it, <laughs> but the the parents didn't actually try to get him back, so I'm not sure they would have looked at it that way, but. And Kepler, uh, Tycho didn't know about his twin until he was an adult, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he was born in 1546, right in the middle of the 16th century, uh, three years after Copernicus died, same year Luther died. He was born into quite a cultural and political and religious milieu there in Denmark. Right, but this is this is like uh, a lot of old uh, movies that, that tell about... Uh, the, uh, the medieval times. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, Tycho's family uh, owned a, a castle on a lake that had a. It even had a drawbridge, and, a, and uh, it was oh, wow. called, called Newtstorp Borg. Borg is uh, castle, right? Yeah, in, yeah. in that language, yes. Right. So, and they were pretty, uh, pretty wealthy. Uh, most of Tycho's family would have gone into. Political careers or military it would have been military mm-hmm. leaders and knights and that sort of thing, but he took a different direction. He had no propensity to be a warrior, did he? Yeah, well, no, he had he the temper a little bit, but yeah, the attitude perhaps, <laughs> but not the skill, not the, not the discipline. Right? Yes, yes, right. So he was, uh, 
he was raised by his aunt and uncle, and they took a more scholarly direction with things, and that gave him opportunity to get more education, which was good. He had a fantastic he, uh, educational he, foundation, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in those days, um, it was, it's interesting to me, Dan, to read about how what it was like going to university, because it's a lot different than our experience today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, in, in medicine, there was more formal education, but when in going into science or mathematics or a lot of other fields, it was really more of a one-on-one mentoring kind of thing. So you would you would get a position that was a paid position at a university, and you had to do some tutoring of younger students, and you also had an older student who was put in charge of you to kind of keep you in line and on time and everything. He was called a preceptor. Okay. And so... Uh, then you had a professor or maybe some kind of clergyman that they, you would probably live with them. And uh, it was very much a mentoring kind of thing, not not a, as much formal education as we think of today. Almost like a, a informal, somewhat of a discipleship kind of uh, yeah, relationship. Yeah. Um, I have something, a little bit of background from the kind of education that uh, Tycho would have experienced, uh, and largely Kepler as well, uh, during the time of the 16th century. Uh, education at a Lutheran university, uh, thanks to Martin Luther's influence and his friend uh, Philip Melanchthon. They uh, believed that the church could succeed in its mission, of uh, the gospel mission of evangelism, uh, the Great Commission, uh, to reach the path of salvation only if it made education a priority. So the, the Lutheran belief was that all of the heavens and the earth, and your, from your occupations to your gifts and your talents and your skills, uh, that's why the liberal arts were included, because that included all of God's creation. So, you know, hats off to the Lutherans. And then, you know, later the Jesuits, that emphasis on the whole of creation was really a foundational aspect of that kind of uh, uh, education. And then astronomy, of course, was one of the core subjects that they took because that was a that it was fundamentally rooted in geometry and geometry was the you know euclid and so you did geometry by looking at the stars so those that that groundwork in that educational background is really what uh, gave kepler and brahe bra the uh, the the knowledge that they needed to do what they did yes uh, phil melanchthon had a lot of influence uh, as a christian uh, in education and that was a very good thing in that part of the world at that time mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So Kepler, uh, Bra Tycho was quite a character, though he's uh, quite quite the colorful character. So from his early upbringing until he was in his twenties, and that something really interesting happened when he was uh, late teens, early twenties. You you've heard yes. Of so Tycho Bra is uh, known for a peculiarity uh, about his nose. He he lost uh, the end of his nose in a fight. Um, he was. Uh, in a town, a city called Rostock, I believe it was. And he was at a uh, he was at a uh, engagement party or something. Yes, a, yeah. a betrothal uh, celebration party. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And so there was someone there who was uh, another young man. But I forget his name now. He was uh, a second cousin. Mandarup Parsberg. Yes, Parsberg. Mm-hmm. So uh, Parsberg and Tycho got into an argument. Parsberg was making fun of him for something. Yes, yeah, so I think it was something about a prediction that he had made or a that poem Tycho that he wrote. Yeah. He, he was, uh, Tycho dabbled in astrology some, 
and he seems to have gone along with astrology to some degree, but he made uh, some predictions sort of thing in a poem that he wrote. And I don't know if, how, if that was really related, or maybe there's something else that started the fight. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, it started early in December of 1566, uh, I, I believe mm-hmm. he's, he's 20 years old. And then they kind of continued uh, arguing uh, off and on through that month. And then uh, December 29th, I think it was, well, they, were, they were at dinner one evening in, a, uh, uh, in this uh, house where they were staying. And they got into an argument, and then say they decided to go outside and fight. And they had swords, so this was a a little sword fight. Yeah, this is uh, this is the days before Facebook and Twitter, where you just fought with your thumbs. And, yes. Yeah. Now you just uh, m- break out the swords out in the yard right now. Let's go, you and I out there. Come on. So uh, very heated. So uh, Tycho got the end of his nose cut off, and his face was scarred. I think a little bit. So. Uh, this would have been a very uh, painful thing to recover from. They did not have uh, much skill with skin grafting skin and, grafting and yeah. stuff. So there wasn't too much they could do, but he didn't get infected at least. So He made it out. He may end up making a prosthetic nose to match sort of the skin color. He melded silver and gold together. And then, uh, as I understand it, he attached this nose piece with some salve and some glue or whatever and right it's constantly falling off and constantly reattaching and yeah so, <laughs> so it, it sounds like he he got interested in alchemy some yes yes and he played around with uh chemicals and stuff so yeah alchemy was a huge thing in the 16th century uh the idea that you could turn yeah. a base metal into gold right yeah well that was one idea but there was a lot of other experimenting with with different materials and chemicals some of it was aimed at more of medical application, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it wasn't all about wasn't turning just, things into gold. Yeah, but, was, but anyway, the, what I read was he had different versions of the nose to put on, right? So he had a okay. sort of deluxe model for a nice <laughs> evening, and, and that was the, I'm going to put on the formal nose. Yeah, tonight. that yes. was his, his mixture of gold and silver, and that right. was his nice nose. <laughs> and then he had a, a cheaper model for yeah. everyday use, I guess, and, and that was. That was brass. Okay. And, and okay. in 1901, they exhumed the body oh, and they? examined the uh, the corpse oh, my goodness. To, to find out more about this nose thing. So, oh, amazing. And, I didn't know and that. And they found uh, green material around his nose bone. So that's from copper. Oh. So the copper, it must have been from the brass. Wow, and I've there was a, I think there was even a second time they exhumed the body in more recent times. Oh my goodness! Uh, so they, uh, <laughs> wow. So they, they're pretty sure it was brass that he would have had in this nose piece. So he had at least most of the time. So that was uh, quite the thing. I mean, you can imagine doing astronomy, and you know all the instruments that he used. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Uh, he must have either maybe taken his nose off to do his instruments or something like that. What did he look like with his nose off? I couldn't find any descriptions. Of, you know, all the portraits, the uh, the one book that I read was saying that the portraits that were painted of Tycho were always done to sort of, there aren't any really that show yeah. exactly what it looks like, you know. Yeah. There was one that I saw that the nose was kind of crooked, but uh, yeah, that's that's something. Um, I, I found that uh, uh, one description of Tycho it was kind of like a dragon mm-hmm. sitting on his hoard because he amassed during his lifetime. He was the guy, one of probably the chief astronomer in, in Western civilization who made tools the thing for astronomy. He made his own tools, had his tools made. When he 
had his own observatory on the island of Venn. He uh, had a a shop where he made astronomical tools. Copernicus, before him, really didn't have any tools, but Tycho really was the... Now, he didn't have any telescopes, because this is pre-telescope era. Right. But he built tools like crazy. He was the tool-making. He had... I, I can't even begin to name so, some of these yeah, things. Yeah, so this was interesting to me. Because, so as a student in university, he realized that the the astronomical tables that existed at the time were... The Alphonse tables. Were, uh, yeah, there was two main ones. Uh, Ptolemy's. Yeah, one of the Alphonse tables was the uh, Ptolemy-based ta- mm-hmm, mm-hmm. system, and there was another one that was based on Copernicus. Now, the tables, just for the audience, what what do these do? These just show the p- positions of planets and things over time, right? Right, so it's, <laughs> it's a reference so you can look up uh, what angle and where to look in the sky to see mm-hmm. the planet in a certain date. So those tables, he tried to use them to to see when uh, the conjunction of certain planets would happen. I mean, both like Jupiter and Saturn would be close to each other in the sky or something. Mm-hmm. And they were both wrong. <laughs> off. He was very but, put but off the by co- that, yes. The Copernicus tables were better than the other. Uh, and so he realized there was a need for more <clears throat> accurate tables and, and more accurate measurements of, of the positions of the planet. So he that was really his his main goal in his life, really, was to create more a- accurate measurements of, of the planets and how to, how to observe them. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, definitely the guy that laid the groundwork for accurately observing the motions of the universe. Ch- fundamental change with Tycho. Right. So he had to, to develop ways of measuring angles. So before astro- modern astronomy could really get going, there were two big problems, or two or three. You had to, you had to have a, a stable base to make measurements from. And if you're holding something in your hands, it's not steady. It's shaking, enough. yeah. And you also, they had to have a good way to measure angles accurately. Mm-hmm. And he, Tycho wanted to get to an accuracy of one minute of arc, which is a sixtieth of a degree. Yeah, so you think and I don't circle. think he ever got quite that good. But. No, but he was that attempt was unusual because I think on the with Copernicus and uh, uh, Ptolemy beforehand that the minutes were off. They were off by several minutes, arc minutes, right, in their measurements. So if he hadn't tried to be real accurate uh, later on, when Kepler took that data and used it. Kepler wouldn't have been able to do good enough yeah. uh, work. Either. So Tycho's was up to that point. Tycho's was the most accurate observation of the motions, the angles of the positions of the planets and things that we have. Right. So he made uh, um, um, an inst- multiple instruments for measuring angles. And so he, you had to have a large instrument that was relatively heavy. So one of these things was, was made so that he would have to have several servants to help him operate this thing. I saw at, that in the book, night. and, and I'm like, what in the world? He would only do one measurement a night because it took thing multiple was... people to hold this thing at the right angle, right. get the measurement, and I think they would have to take two measurements. So you have a, a sort of triangular thing. It's like a piece of pie it, in yes. shape, Dan, and, and it would be kind of like a hanging triangle kind of deal. That's and, a good way to put it. Very good you, way to put it. You, you look on either side of the of the triangle and aim to the star and then you measure those angles. I'm trying to find the picture of it that I saw in this um, book. It's It was enormous, but the, they were joking. The yeah. author was talking about how there's no way you're going to get the servants up two or three. Here it is. 
the Quadrans Maximus. That's right. Yeah, yeah the, That's the it. it's a it looks like a piece of cut pie with the sharp pointed tip hanging from the top, and this thing was a behemoth that required two or three people uh, to move just to get the accurate. But but the thing about it was that it was grounded. And it was solid, and it was on a good base, and it it, right. it, it provided Tycho with some sub- significantly more accurate measurements of the universe. And because of it, because <clears throat> he was doing this by eye, the the device had to be large. It was like twenty feet tall, yeah. and so this was a, an ungainly thing to to work with. But he he was able to measure angles for observing the planets better than anybody ever before. Yeah. That so that was his. Uh, Basic, the foundational, and, and little did he know what he was doing in terms of, you know, preparing the way for Johannes Kepler. But as you say, without these accurate measurements, you don't have, these are the foundation of Kepler's laws that he came up with regarding planetary motion. So uh, it's funny, you know, he's doing all this legwork and he's keeping all this data to himself and uh, not knowing exactly what kind of, of course, he wanted to have his own Copernican sort of model, the, Tycho, the Tychonian model of the universe is what he was striving for, right? To have right. The, yeah. So he had an interesting model. Uh, there was the Ptolemaic model, which took Aristotle's ideas and added these epicycles mm-hmm. on top of it. And it was an idea of there, there was supposedly these solid uh, spheres and they would be uh, close to each other and the planets would be in between the layers. And then... Uh, it's like a bicycle wheel with little bicycle wheels spinning on the rim. Yeah. yeah, and then, and then uh, Ptolemy added the idea of uh, the, the planets being moving in little circles mm-hmm. inside that little air. Circles within circles within circles. So then uh, Tycho realized some, some of the problems with the Ptolemaic idea, and he came up with a variant of the concept. So in, he, in Tycho's model, Earth is in the center, and the sun orbits the Earth, and then the other planets orbit the sun. Not the Earth. Right, right. So the there was still a... We weren't quite Copernican heliocentric. We were getting there, but there it's, was... It's like a compromise between is. the Ptolemaic model We and are in two different worlds right here with these gentlemen. That's yes. right. That's so right. That, that was Tycho's model. It's, it's still today called the Tychonian model. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's still people today who believe it, as a matter of fact. Wow. It was a very interesting idea. Uh, now, wait, I thought we, we could get into... Uh, just exactly where Tycho did a lot of his observations. This thing is the most fascinating aspect of his life to me. Was the island of, I think you call it Ven. Yes, Ven in Denmark. Uh, Frederick, the 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 king of Denmark, uh, was favorable toward Tycho and his family, and mm-hmm. gave Tycho an island. And on the island were a, a group of villagers, a small group of villagers, very independent. Um, and Tycho was the first sort of lord to come along in a long time. Uh, built this, what is nothing short of what I would. Seems like Hogwarts, right? It's a giant, <laughs> a giant house, school, observatory. There was, it was called Uraniborg. Uraniborg. Uraniborg, right. and then uh, I did the other one was called Starborg in terms of the English. I don't know this Sturvin. I, I had the name down, um, but he built. So he had an underground observatory, and then he had Uraniborg, and he, he had all these instruments. He had all the towers. He had the windows. He had a library. He had servants. He had. It was an incredible place. There's a lot of craftsmen that made various things, like glass blowing uh, would have happened there, and uh, various mechanical stuff that was created there. It would have had servants, and he was used to you know living a rich lifestyle. He was the man in charge. 
So this and, was uh, 1576 when he's doing this, about five years after yeah. Kepler is born. Yeah. And there had not been a lord on the island since 1288. The story that I read, there was a Viking uh-huh. named Eric the Priest Hater. <laughs> <laughs> who ruled the island okay. uh, up till 1288. And since after he, he was gone, from 1288 until Tycho's arrival in 1576, there was no overseer on the on the island. So the people had developed their sense of independence and felt like they had kind of uh, owned their property. But then Tycho comes along and said, what is this? You know, the, 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 who is this guy building this crazy house and all this stuff? But it was a... It was a monument to to astronomy at the time. It was the top notch, top of the line observatory for uh, planetary motion. Right, and when uh, Tycho's father died, uh, Tycho had a brother named Steen, and they were they basically inherited some uh, a certain territory that they had to basically be in charge of. But Tycho didn't really focus on the ruling and governing. Kind no, of he neglected that. He didn't deal with that very well, and people didn't uh, didn't like him very well. Uh, right, and but, the the term Uraniborg, I just wanted to mention this before I forget, the castle of Urania. Uh, Urania is the muse of astronomy, and that's where the term came from. But yeah. uh, you're right, Tycho was not a good, he was given a lot, but really was not a good overseer or a steward of the, the lands that he was given. They were just a source of income from him, but he did right. not, uh, he did not take care of them very well, much to the chagrin of the islanders of Ven, who did not care for him that much, <laughs> right? But that's that's where the uh, predominantly um, most of his observ a lot of his observations uh, took place on that island. So that uh, brings us to 1576, which kind of uh, five years, just five years after the birth of Johannes Johann Kepler. Kepler, Johann, right, or Johannes? Or uh, Johann? I'm not quite sure of the pronunciation. Some people pronounce something like that, Jan. Jan. Well, I, I'm not sure the pronunciation. Uh, he was born in 1571, and uh, <laughs> quite a quite a gift for an uh, an astronomer. He had bad eyesight, and I wanted to read something that in Kepler's own writing about his childhood. He was doing his own astrological table for when he was born, and so this comes right out of his own his own journals. Oh yes. Yeah, so, uh, so this yeah. is this is. I mean, it's like it reads like the Book of Job. <laughs> He's like, on the birth of Johann Kepler, I have investigated the matter of my conception, which took place in the year 1571, 16 May at 4.37 a.m. My weakness at birth removes the suspicion that my mother was already pregnant at the marriage, which was the 15th of May. Thus, I was born premature at 32 weeks after 224 days, 10 hours. At age four, I almost died of smallpox and was very ill health and my hands were badly crippled. On age six, on my birthday, I lost a tooth, breaking it off with a string which I pulled with my hands. During these two years, at the age of 14 and 15, I suffered continually from skin ailments, often severe sores, often from the scabs of chronic putrid wounds in my feet, which healed badly and kept breaking out again. On the middle finger of my right hand, I had a worm. On the left, a huge sore. At the age of 16, on April 4th, I was attacked by a fever. When I was 19, I began to suffer terribly from headaches and a disturbance of my limbs. The mange took hold of me. Then there was a dry disease. At the age of 20, a cold brought on the prolonged mange. A disturbance of the body and mind had set, set in because of the excitement of the carnival play in which I was playing Marianne. Kepler played a woman in a play during a carnival uh, in, a, in a very cold day and caught uh, some sickness from it. When I was 21, I went down to wheel and lost a quarter florin at gambling. He was a he struggled all his life with financial problems and poor eyesight and sickness. 
and worry. And uh, it's quite not not the individual to which you would attribute a scientific revolution. Yeah, there's a there's a book I have that has a really wonderful description, Dan, of the differences between Tycho and, and Kepler. And okay. I like this. All right. As this is from a book by a man named James Volkel. Okay. Uh, he said, uh, the two men could not have been more different. Tycho was a nobleman, self-assured, domineering, and combative. Kepler was a commoner, sincere, reflective, peace-loving, and unassuming. So Kepler, I think he had very strong Christian convictions, and he was obviously very influenced by Luther. Uh, there were there was somewhere I read that he he used to recite prayers that were written by Luther. He would both of them were Lutherans, by the way, from what I understood. Correct? That yes, I think both, they yeah. both were mm-hmm. in their family backgrounds. And uh, but Luther, I mean, I mean, Kepler was probably more deliberately following Luther. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was more of an intentionality in Kepler's Christianity than Tycho's, it would appear. But they both believed in the intrinsic. They both had the conviction that God created the universe. Yeah. And it's encouraging to me, stories like this, because these men were a mess, and yet God used them and brought them together. I mean, truthfully, uh, Kepler would always say that he felt that God was leading him this way and that God was in charge and God was doing this. From the design of the universe to the design of his own life, he saw the hand of God in everything that he did, which uh, was interesting. Despite all the struggles and challenges, he really was, uh, was faithful to the end. I think it can honestly be said of him. Um, one thing that he wrote, and, and I may be getting ahead just a little bit, but uh, the way in which Kepler's mind worked is an amazing, it's just, it's just an amazingly complex, but Kepler left behind a lot of writing that gives us insight into how he thought. Um, and this is one of my more favorite quotes from him, uh, that he was talking about how he would arrive at false facts, right? He would go somewhere and have this great idea, and it's, it wasn't true, but it led him somewhere to where he was more on the path of truth. And he says, if my false figures came near to the facts, this happened merely by chance. Uh, These comments are not worth printing, yet it gives me pleasure to remember how many detours I had to make along how many walls I had to grope in darkness of my ignorance until I found the door which lets in the light of truth. In such manner did I dream of the truth. <laughs> so basically he's saying I had to go through a lot of trial and error to get where I was, but it led me to the to the light of truth. Uh, but that was his life, I think. Yeah, and Dan, there's a lot of uh, examples of how Kepler, even though he was a personality that got along with other people a lot and in a time of a lot of conflict between Protestants and Catholics, mm-hmm. he had a way of kind of, uh, kind of taking a neutral path between them and staying out of some of the some of the conflict. And yeah, he had an he had an incredible ability to to, to negotiate between Lutheran uh, Catholic and, Protestant. And yet, and yet, he still had a way of he was very firm in his his own uh, convictions about his faith, and he stood his ground on his Protestant point of view. Uh, so he was a Lutheran. And he sometimes disagreed with the Lutherans on on the Eucharist and, and communion. Mm-hmm. He had a he had a different concept of that than they did. And there was one there was one period of time where he was actually excommunicated essentially from the by the Lutherans, and he wasn't allowed to worship with them for a while. And he went and found a group of Christians out in the woods who met out in the woods to worship. Wow! And he did that for a while, and then there was. 
uh, he also went along with Calvinists on communion, and so he would he would he was not unwilling, you know, to disagree if he found like he had a reason to. So he he bucked the system when it came to uh, the whole Ptolemy versus Copernicus controversy, because he was in the middle of that as a as a college student. He did a a, a lecture once defending Copernicus. Oh wow! As a student, wow. And at the time, this was kind of radical because uh, astronomers usually believed Copernicus, but they yeah. didn't teach it. Right. They had to teach Ptolemy for their job, but they usually believed Copernicus. Well, and it's hard to imagine because we we take we take this idea of the Copernican revolution for granted and. And after Copernicus died in 1543, there was it really wasn't a revolution. People were still like, well, you know, exactly what we're talking about. That yeah. Tycho and Kepler inha- inhabited the world in between what we know to be the Copernican idea of a heliocentric universe or solar system and what we know now. And so here are these men sort of juggling this idea. But talking about Kepler's uh, adherence to Lutheranism, he was once asked his position in all of this mess, of course, uh, he said in a letter to a friend of his, I am a Christian. The Lutheran creed was taught me by my parents. I took it unto myself with repeated searchings of its foundations, with daily questionings, and I hold fast to it. Hypocrisy I have never learned. I am in earnest about faith, and I do not play with it. <laughs> and uh, I remember a story that I read recently about him being in Graz. It's Graz or Graz? I think it's... Uh, I think it's Graz. Uh, he was asked... He was... Uh, questioned by the Catholic authorities um, because they were kicking the Protestants out of the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had his own here-I-stand moment and said, I am a Lutheran. I will not recant or convert to Catholicism. And he had a very yes. short time to pack up and leave, but but that's what he did. So he wasn't uh, wishy-washy about his faith, and he didn't politicize it. Uh, he actually, I understand, he kept a copy of Luther's 95 Theses, with him and read through it and would constantly refer to that a and lot of times. And he had a Luther Bible. And he had a Lutheran Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in one city where Catholics took over, I read that uh, they had burned something like 10,000 copies of Luther's translation of the Bible. So these men were studying the heavens when the earth was <laughs> in disarray. Yes. <laughs> it's remarkable what they accomplished in the time that they accomplished it. It really is. Yeah, yes. that's, that's fascinating to me. So, and, and Kepler's family suffered in multiple, multiple times over the whole uh, conflict with the Catholics. So in, that, in Europe in that time, uh, whoever led the city, whoever was a mayor or a king or governor of a city would decide what the religion was for that city. Yeah. And if they were Protestant, then the, the Protestants would do well. And if the, if they were Catholic, they would often, they would, they would maybe charge some heavy fines on the Protestants mm-hmm. or they would just throw them out of the city. They're very, sometimes they got put into prison because they couldn't pay the fine right, or whatever. So there was a, a lot of difficulty they went through and Kepler's wife, had inherited certain property Barbara, that, that was lost yeah, yeah. because of this once. And they had to move at least two or twice, three times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. two or three times they had to move because of this. Because of the mess. Because the city went from being Protestant to being Catholic. Yeah, what a mess. Um, yeah. What's what's interesting, and we can get into what Kepler actually accomplished. I definitely want to talk about that. Um, but one of the things that was working against both men 
was the idea of the the cosmic model. And at the time, the model, of course, was was gradually going from Copernicus to uh, was gradually turning from Ptolemy to Copernicus. But the problem was in the idea of the orbit of the planets. It was assumed to be circular. And right. so what both men, what was hindering both men in their theories was the idea of saving the appearance of the model, if yeah. you will. The, right. We're going to keep the circular orbit and try to explain, we're going to assume that and explain it from there. And it's interesting, it's a good histor- historical um, lesson for us today when we talk about models of anything, especially in science. A lot of times uh, science does not progress because of its desire to adhere to the appearance of the dominant model. So, you know, when Copernicus made a suggestion, people were very reluctant to model switch, if you will, to go to a new paradigm. Right. So Kepler struggled with that. Before he got to the ellipse shape, it was a circle for a long time, and they were banging their head against the wall. How can this be a circle? How can this be a circular orbit, right? Right. In fact, Kepler had his own uh, sort of cosmological model, if you will. It was an idea for the the arrangement of things of the orbits in the solar system the pythagorean solids correct uh, yeah the four platonic solids platonic solids the okay. five platonic solids um were the basis of it and he had the concept of god's design so the five platonic solids was the tetrahedron the hexahedron which is a cube mm-hmm. an octahedron an icosahedron and dodecahedron. The dodecahedron is kind of like that angular-looking soccer ball, right? Uh, yeah, kind of like yeah. that. So he, he nestled these uh, these solids in a model in one another. So the orbits of the, the spheres, uh, each of the orbits of the planets represented one of those solids. Yeah, let me let me read his description yeah, of it. Please is, do. That's a This good is one. the way Kepler described it briefly. and It's a little hard to f- fathom how this worked. But uh, the Earth's circle is the measure of all things circumscribe a dodecahedron around it the circle surrounding it will be mars circumcise a tetrahedron around mars the circle surrounding it will be jupiter circumscribe a cube around jupiter the surrounding circle will be saturn now inscribe an icosahedron inside the earth the circle inscribed in it will be venus inscribe a octahedron inside venus the circle inscribed in it will be Mercury. Wow! And his uh, his model, the drawing that you see, is like a is like a punch bowl with uh, geometric objects in the middle of it, right? Yeah, a one square, inside the one other. One is like a, a triangle inside yeah. a square inside a dodecahedron, it's and it's kind quite of bizarre. Yeah, but he had that moment. Of, he had that. Uh, the, he describes that the, the moment he he thought that that was true. He was teaching a class and drew a, a diagram, and had this epiphany that that's how the the things were. And uh, yeah, there's the model. Yet. So it, it's interesting because he, again, as I mentioned earlier, that's how his mind worked. He had these wonderfully grandiose ideas. And he was like, whoops, that's quite not what it was. But it led him down a path to inevitably uh, what he discovered about uh, the elliptical nature of the planetary orbits, right? Right. So for years, um, even though he believed Copernicus, he was still operating on the assumption that the planet orbits were circular. Mm-hmm. And he spent years doing calculations. See, Tycho Brahe eventually died. Kepler was his assistant for a period of time. So and Tycho so, died in 1601, correct? Okay, yeah. so yeah. So when when Tycho died, Kepler took over his position. So he was an official 
position as a mathematician and astronomer mm-hmm. uh, under King Rudolf II. Uh, the Czech Republic is what it is now. It was, mm-hmm. I think it was Czechoslovakia. I think mm-hmm. it was. Anyway, so he took over that job and uh, spent years going through Tycho's measurement data and doing calculations to make uh, to see if if he could explain sort of the mathematics of the orbits. And what was funny is that while Tycho was working with Kepler, Tycho would not share his data with Kepler. Right. Yeah, so, so, so he Kep- couldn't do it until he was dead. Right, so Tycho was, Tycho, again, we go back to that idea of Tycho as a dragon sitting on his hoard, and, right. and, and uh, Kepler's like Bilbo going into Smaug and, you know, <laughs> trying right. to wrest the treasure it's from Smaug, like that, you know. Yeah. You know, oh, magnificent Smaug, please, you know. you. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the funny stories, and this is true, I just read this this morning, that uh, uh, once Tycho, uh, while Kepler and Tycho were together, Tycho, uh, Kepler had taken a leave of absence from Tycho for a little bit, and Tycho sent with him a guy named Rosencrantz. To go with Tycho, uh, to go with Kepler, to make sure Kepler wouldn't share any data with anybody, to keep an eye on him. Because, yeah. And but Rosencrantz is actually a, a cousin. I think he was a cousin of Tycho's, and he had another cousin. You may recognize this name, Guildenstern. These were cousins of Tycho Brahe. These were actually Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of Shakespeare's Hamlet. Uh. And Shakespeare modeled these characters off of uh, Tycho's relatives. <laughs> and from the portrayal of Shakespeare's that play, there was a not flattering portrayal. Yeah, yes, so, uh. so the, that, the, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern were actually brought uh, relatives, <laughs> just to make that interesting family connection there. So that's just kind of the opposite attitude of the way modern science normally looks at data today. Yeah, D- Scientific data is considered open, pretty much, so that yeah. everyone can... Kind of contribute. You can you can download anything from the Hubble Space Telescope from the Hubble Space Telescope. All the data that it's right. ever so downloaded is publicly Tycho available. Tycho was just the opposite of that. Yeah, he's like, you can't have it. You can't have it's my mine. data. He didn't right. want anybody else to get credit. Right. Uh, and, and even his family kind of did that after him. Right. When he died, he could. I mean, Tycho uh, Kepler assumed he could take it, but the family's like, no, 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 no. That's that that belongs to us. And still, there was a still there was a battle to to, right. to access it. So Tycho or Kepler ended up giving most of it to the family, but he kept all the Mars data. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting. But he, it was a fight to get that. It wasn't like you know, it was like trying to take gold coins from smog. You know, it was just right. not something you were going to do instantly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Kepler. See, Tycho did not have the mathematical skill that Kepler had. No. But Kepler, because of his eye problem, he couldn't do the observations like (laughs) Tycho could do. So Tycho and Kepler really needed each other, and that's why they're the astronomy odd couple, is what I like to call them. And they were opposite personalities, and Kepler and Tycho, they kind of tended to avoid each other until they really had to talk about something, Mm -hmm. because they had a tendency to clash in personalities. Right. And uh, what's interesting is that Kepler, probably more so than Tycho, saw the hand of God in everything in terms of bringing them together. All his long, winding travels and all of his uh, problems and setbacks, he saw that the hand of God was, uh, was upon everything all the way up until the end of his life. Uh, so, But in terms of their adhering to Lutheranism, I think, I think uh, it seems Kepler was a little bit more devout than his uh, bombastic friend. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's hard to say, but you know it seems. I, I think he was, but uh, they both would have believed, said they believed the Bible. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Dan, it strikes me that um, in the in the bigger scheme, uh, if you look at the 
the the years of both of their lives. Uh, I can see God's purpose in both of them. In yeah. That, so it took Tycho's observations to have good data to resolve all the controversy about Ptolemy versus Copernicus. Mm-hmm. Tycho had his own model of the heavens that I think turned out to be wrong. Kepler had a model of the heavens, and it was wrong. Mm-hmm. But putting it all together, if you take Tycho's numbers from his measurements and Kepler's mathematics, you got Kepler's three laws of planetary motion. And that's what that was a paradigm shift in astronomy. The, yes. The three, and we still use the three laws. And you... Kepler explained the uh, looping, reversing motion of Mars that you would see as you observe it in the sky. And, and so... Uh, I can. I think God's purpose was to put the two of them together. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, it takes more than one person, and one person gets one puzzle piece, another person gets another puzzle piece, and that serves God's purpose over time. Yeah, that's how the body of Christ works. It's, yeah. it's, it reminds me of the chapter in Corinthians where the hand cannot say to the foot or the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Right. The, the right. body is made up of many different parts. Yes. And so, you know, especially with the universe, it's a collaboration of data. And I think uh, I truthfully believe that astronomers and cosmologists will make more headway if they're more open, not only amongst themselves, but interdisciplinary wise, because the literature, the music, the arts, all of that combines together, I think, to speak of the cosmos. And you 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 talk about the intricacies of these men's lives and how they came together quite Somebody, people might say by chance, but there's no way that you bring such a bombastic nobleman like Tycho together with this shy little quiet German uh, Kepler and bring them together and, and create this paradigm shifting model. So yeah, I think, and they were they were both forced to move many of times, tumultuous uh, yeah. political problems. It's and a war, wonder, and, and yet that it was a complex political mess that yeah. brought them together. Yeah, and it's a wonder that they were able to accomplish what they did in such a political milieu. Uh, Dan, I'd like to read a really neat quote of Kepler. This is yes. one of my favorite things he said. All right. He said, he was writing in a letter to a mathematician friend. He said, as we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, we are bound to think of the praise of God and not of the glory of our own capacities. Who is convinced of that does not publish light-mindedly what he does not believe himself. I am content with honor, with the honor of having my discovery guard the doors of the sanctuary in which Copernicus performs the service at, at the highest altar. That's awesome. So he was honoring Copernicus over himself. Yeah, and that that was Kepler. Yeah, I like. Have, do you know what his uh, headstone says? No. It's a, this is, I like this. It says, uh, Kepler's gravestone in the Protestant cemetery has an epitaph that he himself wrote. It says, I measured the heavens. Now the earth's shadows I measure. Sky bound my mind. Earth bound my body rests. <laughs> <laughs> so they are, it's a fascinating, a fascinating story of an unlikely partnership that forever changed our understanding of the heavens, and that's the subtitle to a great book by Kitty Ferguson. If you want to read up on uh, uh, on their the lives of these two wonderful men, um, and be encouraged that no matter what situation you find yourself in, if your coworkers seem like absolutely nuts to you, or you're struggling with your own purpose and your own work, 
recognize that the oddity and the, and the political turmoil and all the things and the difficulties that surround you may be leading you to your own Kepler or your own Tycho f to make fabulous pro progress in science or whatever you're working on. Yeah, so we, we don't know at the time but the yeah. impact that our life has. Yeah, as messy as yeah. things are, uh, they can turn out to change our understanding of the universe. Right. Good heavens. Good heavens. <laughs> well, Wayne, it was great to do another episode uh, with you, and we will, uh, we will be back with another episode, hopefully, here shortly. So thanks for tuning in. Good heavens. Has it ended already? Well, you can listen to it again if you want to, and there's other episodes that you may enjoy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Heavens, and consider sponsoring our wonderful little podcast. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time on Good Heavens. Good Heavens.